Section 100 of Loss of the Sultana by Chester D. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 100. Samuel H. Rodabaugh. I was born near Lancaster, Fairfield County, Ohio, September 29, 1842. With my parents moved to Hancock County, Ohio, the 5th of June, 1848. I became a Christian by the mercy of God in August 1853, and united with the Church of the United Brethren in Christ in December 1853. I want to say, to the praise of God, that He has helped me so to live that the Church has not been necessitated to remove my name from its records from that day until now. I enlisted in Company K of the 65th Regiment Ohio Infantry, September 5, 1862. The regiment was a part of the renowned Sherman's Brigade. Its first colonel was that brilliant young officer, General Harker. He never commanded the regiment much, but commanded the brigade until he was made brigadier general, and then he commanded a division much of the time until his death at the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain, Georgia. I was married the 2nd of October, 1862 was detained in Ohio, one place and another, until sometime in December 1862, when about thirty of us recruits, in charge of Colonel Castle, joined our command in a camp near Nashville, Tennessee. Here, for twelve or fifteen days, we recruits had the pleasure of all the division, brigade, regiment, company, and also that famous, wonderful, and enjoyable squad drill. All those days of drill came in good play in the near future, for from the 30th of December, 1862, to January 2nd, 1863, we played a conspicuous part in the Battle of Stone River, Tennessee. Here, along with ten of my company, I was taken prisoner, but I played dead and got away from the Johnnies, while the other nine comrades went on a journey to Libby. I was in sixteen of the hard battles of the war, and in the summer of 1864 on the Atlanta campaign I was under fire more or less almost daily from the 8th of May at Rocky Face Ridge to the 2nd of September at Atlanta, Georgia. On the 30th of November, 1864, at the memorable Battle of Franklin, Tennessee, I was again taken prisoner and this time took a trip to Andersonville that indescribable den of suffering, sorrow, and death. I want to say of Andersonville Prison that human tongue has never told, nor pen ever written, and never will tell or write the horrors, suffering, and cruelty inflicted on the prisoners at Andersonville by Wurz and his guards, and I firmly believe that they but executed the will of Jeff Davis and his allies. I will give some death rates that I gathered from official records as follows. Of 12,400 persons taken to the hospital, 76% died. In May 1864, of 18,454 prisoners, 701 died, 23 per day. In June 1864, of 26,364 prisoners, 1,202 died, 40 per day. In July 1864, 
of 31,678 prisoners, 1,742 died, 56 per day. In August 1864, of 31,693 prisoners, 3,076 died, 99 per day. On the 23rd of August, 1864, was the greatest mortality, 127 died, one for every 11 minutes. You will allow me to say that I call that treatment wholesale murder, and of the most cruel kind known to history. As stated above, I was taken prisoner on the 30th of November, 1864, and hence was in Andersonville during the winter of 1864 and 1865. I, with eleven others, bought out of Andersonville in March 1865, and arrived in God's country at Big Black River on the 31st of March 1865. While here, along with thousands of paroled prisoners, Lee and Johnson surrendered, and President Lincoln was assassinated. All of us thought that the wicked slaveholders' rebellion was about bursted up. On the evening of the 25th of April, 1865, at Vicksburg, Mississippi, about 2,300 of us, nearly all paroled prisoners from Andersonville and Cahaba dens, were crowded on board the steamer Sultana. She arrived at Memphis, Tennessee on the evening of the 26th of April, 1865, with her load of human beings and about 100 tons of sugar. She remained there until the sugar was unloaded. I helped unload the sugar and received 75 cents an hour for the time I worked. At about 10 o'clock p.m. on the 26th of April, she went to a coal barge and took on a supply of coal. About midnight, I asked one of the deck hands, "'How soon do you expect to start up the river?' And he replied, "'At one o'clock.' That would be the morning of the 27th. Now, remember, kind reader, we were on our way home from the cruel war, it being virtually over. We were on our way home from those horrid dens of cruelty and starvation. Yes, we had lived through it all, and hoped— yes expected soon to see loved ones and home and enjoy at least some of the peace we had fought to restore home yes home under the stars and stripes once more while thus pleasantly meditating all of a sudden about half past one o'clock a m one of the boilers exploded and the greater part of that human load was blown into the river while sound asleep some to awake in the cold water, and some in eternity. Those that were not blown off at the time of the explosion were soon compelled to jump into the river so as to escape burning to death, for the boat quickly caught fire and burned to the water's edge. About 1,750 of that homeward-bound company perished then and there, and several hundred more poor fellows died in the next ten days from wounds, burns, and scalds. I say, fearless of truthful contradiction, that the explosion of the Sultana was the greatest calamity of the war against the slave-holding rebels, and it was the greatest steamboat disaster known to history. You will naturally ask two questions. First, how did you escape? And second, 
how did the calamity occur? To the latter question I can but give you my opinion, and that has never changed since I got ashore and took time to think. I believe that some enemy of our union had a hand in crowding so many of us on the boat, and that he knew, when that southern sugar was taken off, that the rest of the cargo and the boat would meet the fate that followed. I believe that some ally of Jeff Davis put a torpedo in the coal while we were at Memphis, where it would go into the furnace for the first fire that would be built after leaving Memphis, with the intent to destroy the boat and its mass of human heroes on their way home. I can say that in May 1888, a man in the South, William C. Streeter, St. Louis, Missouri, said that he knew the man, Charles Dale, who said he chiseled a hole in a large chunk of coal, put a torpedo therein, which did the deadly work, carried it with his own hands, and laid it where it must soon go into the furnace. I will say one thing more, and that is, if I were in authority, I would arrest and hang the man who knew so high-handed and bloody a murderer, and did not try to have him brought to justice for so gigantic a crime. Now, as to my escape. I was lying by the side of the icebox under the same blanket with J. B. Horner of Company K of the 65th Ohio and J. W. Vanscoise of Company A of the 64th Ohio, sound asleep when the explosion took place. I was blown off the boat into the water and was under the water when I awoke. When I came to the surface, I tried for a moment to get on the icebox, for it was in the water as well as myself. But so many were trying to get onto it that it would do none of us any good. So I swam away to a spot in the river where there were no human beings, and there concluded that the boat had sank, and knew no better until I saw the boat on fire. I soon got on a large rail and remained on it for some time. I lost consciousness, and when I came to know again, I had lost my rail. Then, as soon as I could, I got a piece of the banister of the wrecked boat, both rails together about four feet long, and on this little raft I remained and suffered with the cold and cramps until daylight, when I was picked up by a few boatmen on the gunboat Essex, about two miles below Memphis, having floated with the current about ten miles, and had been in the water from about one-thirty in the morning until daylight on the 27th of April. I was taken to the Gayozo Hospital at Memphis and treated for injuries in my breast and groin. I am and have for the last twenty years been a regular minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of my early choice. I want all of the readers to remember that it costs something to preserve this government's interest. I want to ask you to kindly remember the old soldiers, and especially the surviving prisoners of the late war against the most wanton rebellion and in support of the best government on earth. I wish hereby to thank God for preserving my life and permitting me to enjoy so much of the peace I suffered to hand down to future generations. Residence and Post Office Address, Lindsay, Ohio End of Section 100